0: going to start this morning in Matthew chapter 5, then we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. We're thinking about, um, also a plug, next Sunday, uh, Duke is going to be starting, we're doing a combined Sunday school series on eschatology, uh, the study of the end times. Uh, that'll be a combined Sunday school class for the next several weeks that Duke will be teaching uh, here in the auditorium uh, next Sunday. Uh, This morning we took a little cursory look at couple chapters in Jeremiah talking about God's promises. I said the blessing is we can look back on God's word and see his promises and see the fulfillment of many of them. Uh, we're still looking forward to the fulfillment of of some of his promises. Uh, some of his promises, quite frankly, that we look forward to with great anticipation and blessing, but there's some of his promises uh, that Uh, a lot of folks shouldn't be looking forward to with great anticipation and blessing because uh, there's going to be uh, some severe judgment and punishment uh, coming uh, the way of humanity. And we must be serious-minded now uh, about what is coming. But the problem is, too often we look to the future for what we're going to do. We look to the future for the fulfillment of uh, what we want to accomplish. You know, How many of us look to the future for things that we're going to do someday, things that we're going to do one day. Sometimes it's a, it might be a dream vacation, a, a dream trip, a dream hunt, a dream fishing trip, a dream, uh, whatever the case might be. It might be a, a dream project. I don't know, but we look to the future on something we're going to do. And then oftentimes, we look to the future of something we're going to do that's in the realm of obedience. That, well, you know, someday you know, someday when, you know, things are different, then I'll be able to do that. I I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but because of the status of life, because of my work situation, because of my family situation, because of my living situation, or whatever the case may be, you know, I I can't do it right now, but God knows my heart that someday I'm going to do that. And, you know, I go back to uh, Pharaoh and the 10 plagues, and when Moses said, of course, I think the, the most uh, uh, pertinent one is when the frogs were everywhere and the frogs were in their beds and everything else and just had this conversation with a couple of people the last few days and said, uh, well, when do you want me to take those frogs out? Tomorrow, tomorrow, yeah. Now, I'll sleep with them one more night. Yeah, and you know, how many of us, when it comes to something that we know we're supposed to do, Uh, There's an area of obedience. And well, tomorrow, well, next week, you know, I'm going to start at the first of the month. You know, there's a new year coming. That's when I'll start doing right. Uh, I'm going to have a definitive time. That's, you know, but it's someplace far off. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, that comedian that talks about when the the science projects do. You know, maybe you've heard, you know, he says, uh, he says, you know, they told me the beginning of semester, the science project's going to be due. And then all of a sudden, the night before it's due, you say, Oh no, that's tomorrow. Oh, wait, uh, that's tomorrow. And he says, uh, I just stand there with a, I fill a dirt, a cup with dirt, and I say, uh, Just, uh, w- w- so what is your project? Well, I call it Cup of Dirt. It's a cup filled with dirt. Just, just give me an F and move on. And, and you know, we're going to fulfill We knew all along. Well, that's the way it comes oftentimes with God's expectations. We know all along what they are. We know what's coming. How many people are putting off until another time to get saved? Yeah, how many people are putting off to another time uh, to make some changes in their schedule to do things for God? How many people are putting off another time uh, to obey something that, that God continues to hammer about, but that we, we continue to quench the spirit of God and not obey and not to do it? As a nation, the United States, too often we look at our country corporately from the standard of, well, we're God's chosen country because we were founded on biblical principles. We're founded on biblical truth. There were Christians who who were part of founding this country, so we're a Christian nation. Our money still says one nation under God, even though we're not even a country any longer of one God. And so we put all of our stock in our spiritual delivery into what's going on in the country versus what does God's Word say? And we see all the reports of volcanoes and earthquakes and floods and tornadoes and oil spills and economic disaster and war and nuclear weapons that are being proliferated uh, in other places. We see evil dictators uh, with unstable uh, mindsets and even our own government is called unstable uh, now. We see people taking areas of life. We see uh, the workers being penalized. We see coddling of the lazy. We see folks being honored for not being an active part of society when they 're capable of doing something. We see leadership that praises um, evil and evil other countries and oftentimes even denouncing our own you know the laws that uh, are on our land are not even being followed by. Uh, Those that are in charge of maintaining the order, the laws that are required to uphold, our land is no longer a melting pot, but rather a catering pot. And we live in a day that even illegal doesn't mean illegal anymore. And so we look at a country as a whole and we say, what's going on? And a nation that was at one time uh, established on biblical truth and principles overall. A nation that, that adhered to and believed in that there was a creator God. A government that adhered to. And, and when they talk about the separation of church and state, it meant that the government was not going to uh, overcome and be stronger and bigger than that which God put in place. And now today we live in a nation... That every manner of wickedness and sin and debauchery is welcomed, legalized, acknowledged. And even that's not surprising to me, and it shouldn't be surprising to any of us. Because that's the manner of sin. That's the manner of the sin nature. The sin nature left to itself is going to produce sin. Uh, The sin nature and men left to their own reasoning is going to produce sin and wickedness and debauchery. Men left to themselves are going to devise uh, more things that are going to be more pleasurable to themselves because the same old thing isn't going to be pleasurable anymore. And so now I want something different. And we know that when at the fall of Lucifer, the fall of Satan when he was cast from out heaven's realm and glory, that his whole mindset was he was no longer satisfied with being in the presence of God. He wanted to be equal with God. And now we see the culmination, not even the culmination, but we see the furtherance of that mindset. That now we live in a nation that it was one thing when, okay, uh, men and women are going to be equal. We're one nation under God, all equal. Every ethnic group that comes together, men and women have equality in certain areas of life, but now we want to whitewash it all. And now we live in a country that it's not about men and women being equal, but now there's no longer men and women. There's just... Now we're all the exact same, and you can be whatever gender you want. There's some state, I don't even know which one it is now, that now is coming out with new birth certificates that state it has three choices. And we say, how could that be? Well, even that shouldn't be surprising to us. What should be surprising to us is that all of those Things, all of this wickedness, all of this sinfulness has become accepted in the body of Christ. It has become accepted in those who call upon the name of the Lord. It has become accepted to the unacceptable. It has become acknowledged that we are no longer. Standing firm as salt and light. And that's what for, uh, Matthew chapter 5 says in verse uh, 13. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men ye are the light of the world a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven this isn't a corporate instruction oh it applies corporately in the church age it is for the entire church but this is an individual instruction Ye are the salt. Who's he talking to? His disciples. Ye are to be the light. Ye are to illuminate. Ye are to stand out. You are to be that one. And yet, darkness continues to get darker. Sin continues to become more evident and prevalent. We've stated it a number of times. When when God... Acknowledged Job, he said, There's none like him. In Ezekiel, when God said, I sought for a man to stand in the gap and make up the hedge, he said, I found none. And we live in a day and age when sin is even more rampant, more accepted. And now we live in an age when professing Christians just put up with it all because, after all, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly, I'm going to be out of here. And we're, quite frankly, becoming no different than those that were given the talents and the one who was given one and buried it and just held on to it and said, oh, Lord, I'm glad when you came back because I buried it and I didn't lose it and and I've got it right here. And the Lord said, no, you did nothing. You did nothing with what I instructed you to do. You did not follow my instructions at all. If you just would have invested it, you would have drawn some interest and we'd have had something more. You did nothing. See, standing pat with what the Lord has given to us is not going to be honored. It's not going to be uh, acknowledged. It's not going to be an attaboy and a pat on the back and say, "Hey, Hey, you held fast, you held strong with the salvation I gave you. Okay, now, uh, what kind of illumination were you? What kind of a preservative were you? Uh, What kind of a, thus saith the Lord were you to stand up and to make known my way in this world for what his expectations are? Because I want to go back. That's why we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. I want us to go back and see the instructions, uh, just a cursory bit here, of what God was his original plan for the nation of Israel. Here, these are the instructions as they were given to Moses as uh, we see here in the Pentateuch, these original five, the beginning, Moses himself was not allowed to go into the Promised Land, but in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God's original plan, as he gave him instructions for entering into the Promised Land, he gave them instructions to not go in and partner with the people, but his first instruction was the process of purification. Look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 1. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it and hath and into the land whither thou goest to possess it and hath cast out many nations before thee the Hittites the Gergesites the Amorites the Canaanites the Perizzites the Hivites and the Jebusites seven nations greater and mightier than thou. Well, that's what the spies came back and said. Hey, they're powerful, they're big, they're bold. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me. That they may serve other gods, so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. The process of purification was complete annihilation of that which was contrary to God. He said, this is the promised land that he had promised to Abraham, that he had promised to the seed that they were working towards as they were delivered from Egypt, as they refused to trust in God. They wandered for 40 years. They came back in. He said, now let's take it, but here are the instructions. Complete annihilation sounds harsh. But these are the most wicked, morally depraved people in uh, chapter 9 he says that they deserve death because of their sinfulness and wickedness they persisted in their hatred of God verse 10 here of chapter 7 says repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them he will not be slack to him that hateth him he will repay him to his face they constituted a moral cancer just one could introduce idolatry and immorality and he said do not allow any of them to survive well he tells us in 2nd Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness we always apply that to marriage and it absolutely applies to marriage but that applies to all of our close relationships. That applies to our business relationships. That applies to our uh, civil, societal relationships. To not be unequally yoked in a manner that I am placing myself alongside an unbeliever in a manner that they are living and adhering to and exemplifying and practicing unholiness, ungodliness, unrighteousness. And yet I'm going to say that I'm a Christian and we're partnering together unequally. We're not, if I'm following Christ completely and utterly as he's called me to do, and I'm yoked to another believer, we're going in two different directions. And the whole picture is two oxen, uh, two asses that are a Line together so that they work together, they're matched together, and that is the picture. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14 says, My dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. But yet we partner with, we're consumed with, we get tied to those that allow and push and exemplify idolatry. Idolatry is anything that takes our focus off of God. Oh, Whatsoever we do, we're to do all to the glory of God. Whatever our hand finds to do, we're to do it heartily as unto the Lord. But we can't do that which is contrary to God and His character and say, Lord, I'm doing this for you the best I can. He's saying, no, I'm telling you not to do it then. I'm, not ta- I'm telling you not to do it then. I'm telling you not to do it at all. Follow my plan. And he said, go in and destroy them all. 1 John 5 says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And by the way, what we do, the little children who are following and watching are going to take it to the next level. They're going to uh, take it. You hear the old adage, uh, what uh, the parents allow in moderation, uh, the children do in excess. Exactly. And, but the goal is hopefully, Lord willing, that we're focusing on that uh, within moderation or excess that we're trying to follow the Lord and we're praying heartily and trusting that our children will do that in excess and not the sinfulness in excess that we hide in our homes, that they see in our calendars, that they see in our schedules, that they see in our bank accounts, they see in, in, in our entertainment, uh, they hear in that which we listen to and they take it to a different direction. 2nd Timothy chapter 4 of course you know the end of 2nd Timothy chapter 3 the word of God is profitable for all things and in chapter 4 he says preach the word that is the answer to all things we should ask ourselves what are the Canaanites that we have allowed to live and partner with in our own lives What remnants of their idols, their strongholds have we kept for souvenirs, for posterity, uh, etc.? God still expects complete purifying. And some of us say, well, but that's why to me I think it's so important for us to... uh, present the gospel to young children that they would get saved discipled and grow in a christ honoring godly home adhering to scripture following god's plan early because those of us that get saved later in life we still have all the memories all the experiences all those idols that have been built up through many years and we're still trying to destroy them we're still trying to kill them we're still trying to rid ourselves of them and that's the exact picture that there is still today for God's people. That we are to destroy utterly those inhabitants of this land that are contrary to God, contrary to his word, contrary to his expectation. You say, well, but that's pretty radical. I mean, I mean that's, that, that's, I'd mean, i have to make some radical, radical changes in my life. It depends on what level of obedience you're going to have to the Lord. How obedient it's—it's it's not to me, you know. It's you know, as a Christian, you know, early on as a Christian, you know, people would say certain things and say, "Oh, uh, well, excuse my French," or "Oh, maybe I shouldn't say this in front of you," or whatever. And I, I say all the time, I said, "It doesn't matter what you say to me. It's—it's it's ever before the Lord. I'm not going to bring judgment. I've got enough things I'm going to answer the Lord for." what is in your life is going to be before God that you give an account for you know I noticed that you notice that the world that uh, they schedule so many of their things now at the times that God had set apart for himself you think that's a coincidence we saw it over in Malaysia where my father-in-law is at the, the Muslims are in control They made the work week now. The work week begins on Sunday and goes through Thursday. Friday and Saturday are their weekend. They want to make it more difficult for Christians to worship on the Sunday. But it's no different here. Entertainment. Sunday is the entertainment capital day of the week that draws our focus and attention away from the one who gave himself for us. You know, we're to accept people where they are and minister to them. The sad part of it is, is that we live in a day now that we've not only accepted them where they are, but we've accepted their sin. And we try to uh, reason away why they're okay. I I know that they're in this kind of sin, but they're still a good person. Are they born again? Well, no, not yet, but... uh, Well, then there's got to be a separation there. There can't be a partnership there. That is God's level of purification. But look at verse 6 and 11 there in Deuteronomy chapter 7. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep thee. Oath, which he had made sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with him that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, and repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. Um, Here I see his presence. I see the presence of passion, God's passion towards his people. God delivered Israel because of his love and his promise. God has made the way of delivery for all through Jesus Christ. God loves his creation, which we are. And through the nation of Israel, he He, He set apart his people. Now as we live in this age of grace, the church age, he has made the way possible for all humanity to come. You go back to Noah. Noah and his family and two of every kind were saved in an ark. For over a hundred years, Noah built the ark, and the people came and scoffed and scoffed and scoffed and made fun and mocked. They could have joined in. In fact, they could have been delivered themselves, but they chose not to. And Noah and his family were saved on the ark. We go later and Abraham is the descendant and Abraham is a sojourner in the land heading towards the promised land. He had no home, which by the way is us today. Sojourning, we happen to be here in the United States of America, but we are sojourners here. If you're here today and you're born again, you're on the ark, which is called the church. And you've accepted his entrance, his ticket through Jesus Christ into that means Of deliverance but through that there is a price to be paid and that price is obedience that expectation is submission and surrender clearly as he gives to us but that means of salvation is through Christ so we believe on the gospel for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we repent of our sin and believe the gospel. We believe in our heart and confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there's new life. And we become a peculiar people. We become a newborn babe in Christ, desiring the sincere milk of the word. And then from there, we're to be growing and discipling and learning and putting to death those idols that are in our life, putting to death those enemies that are in our life as we die to self daily and take up our cross and follow him. As we mortify our members, our enemies which are upon the earth, which are what? The world, the flesh, and the devil. And the same thing, this passion, God's passion towards his people, he made the way possible. But then his people's passion towards God, because he says in verse 11, Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments, which I command thee this day to do them. Because of his love and his deliverance to his people, God expected their love to be shown through obedience. And it's still that way today. John 14, 15, Jesus said, If ye love me, keep my commandments. Well, Lord, I love you. Well, are you obeying? Is that seen through your obedience? Because we can love him through lip service, but what he's after is that we love him through life service. That It's obvious that we love him through our actions. You know, we, we talked before a week ago about... Uh, actions and reactions. That when we're unsaved and we're in the flesh, or maybe we are saved and we're still in the flesh, and when, when circumstances come up and we react in a fleshly manner, well, we're not following the Lord. But when we're growing in His grace and knowledge, when we're trusting in Him and, and, and horrible things come our way and we act in a Christ-like manner, we act in a manner we could because we're, we're leaning and resting and trusting in Him, there is a difference. We tend to focus on though what everyone else is doing wrong when god requires our focus to be on ourselves obeying it's so easy to focus on what everybody else needs to be doing differently it's easy to focus on what everybody else should be doing better it's easy to focus on what why other people uh need to be doing or what or why or how they should be doing it differently rather than focusing on the only one that we have complete control over, and that's ourselves. and But that's the most difficult one for us to focus on. We must remember that God loves me. He loves me enough that he gave of himself to redeem me. He loves me enough to tell me the truth that I must die to myself. He loves me enough to tell me that those enemies, those things that I think are, are, are loving me uh, aren't. You see, in our political, I, I, I think a, a perfect picture, if you saw recently the confirmation process uh, that that judge went through, Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court, and you see these people that were coming forward and there's well, you know, there's, there's politicians and attorneys that are bringing these people out of the woodwork and saying, here, tell your story. Yeah, this is it. Did they do it because they cared about those people? I dare, I, I dare say absolutely not. They cared about a process, an end goal that they wanted and they didn't care what happened to anybody else to get that end goal. And a lot of us look at that and say, I just can't imagine doing that. Every time we disobey God and do what my flesh wants to do, we're doing no different. Oh, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son to be the satisfaction for my sins. And thank you, Lord. I'm so, I'm so thankful for my eternal life. I'm so thankful for deliverance. But I'm going to live life my way. I'm going to do things my way. After all, I mean, I got people relying upon me. I got this happening or this taking place, and we come up with reason and excuse after excuse, because nobody else's excuses are good, but mine are justifiable. Mine are righteous. When I choose to not go God's way, my I have good reasons. Nobody else does. Well, in God's eyes, none of us do, because he's given us clear instruction. But then look what he says in verse 12 and following. He says, wherefore, it shall come to pass... If ye hearken to these judgments, and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he sware unto thy fathers, and he will love thee, and bless thee, and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb, and the fruit of thy land, thy corn, thy wine, thine oil, increase of thy kind, thy flocks, thy sheep, land, which he sware unto thy fathers to give thee. Thou shalt be blessed above all people." There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle, and the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. And thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. Thine eye shall have no pity upon them, neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto thee. We see his productive protection. God promises his blessing, his protection, his deliverance to those who keep his commandments. And that has not changed today. Regardless of what we've accepted, into our individual lives regardless of what we've accepted into the corporate body of Christ God has not changed his expectations are no different his commandments are no different we say well we live in the church age now we're no longer under the law yeah Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law he came to fulfill the law that he's given us a little more detail about how to live it personally. Now, we no longer need to go through a priest. Uh, you no longer need to come and come through the Holy of Holies up here uh, for uh, absolution of sins or anything else. But now individually, each and every one of us have a walk, a relationship with Christ. And we're now responsible. We can't blame anybody else. Well, you know, the priest did this. Yeah, well, when I went, they, uh, he fell dead in there when he was making the offering. So I guess for another year, things aren't going to... No, it's individual now. Our walk is our choice. We choose what we're going to do. It's time for God's people to wake up out of complacency, stop complaining about what others others are or aren't doing, and start completing what God has commanded us. And I think that is the clearest statement, that we must complete what he has commanded us to do. Not compete, complete. He's given us clear instruction as followers for him. We're to walk in the light as he is in the light. We are not to be accepting of sin. We are to die to it. You know, as these instructions were given, it's only a little while later as God tells Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. And as as Moses has gone off the way, and he says, those same promises I gave to Moses, those that Moses has recorded, those that you have been given, you're to go. And they defeated Ai. And just as we looked at Achan before, and they defeated it, one person. Remember why it was important? They must wipe out the land. One person, Achan, took of those things and hid them. And what was God's judgment? Him and his entire family were wiped out. I just I don't know if I want to I don't know if I want to follow a, a God that would do that. Well I, I mean I, I, don't, I don't know that I want to live for a God that's so harsh as that. Well that's your choice. But that's how God feels about sin. And what do they do? They or, or, or To Jericho, they defeated Jericho. They got defeated in Ai. And then later on, he says not to make any pacts with them. And they made a pact with one of the countries because they were fooled. And he said, destroy them. And they made a partnership. Well, you know, we're doing pretty good. Uh, you know, we're doing all right. And what have we seen since that time? We've seen God's people go into captivity. We've seen God's people removed from the promised land. We know that God promised that they would come back. That's why Israel is so important today. We've seen so many things coming that are pointing towards the coming of the Lord. We're seeing so many things coming. That's why back in 2001, when when my wife and I were able to go to Israel and and, um, a lot of people were canceling going and I said, I want to go because I want to see the old Jerusalem because I think we're going to see the new one pretty quick. It's coming. The day that we stand face to face with our Lord and give an account of this life is coming. And the reason I preach this message, the reason I bring this passage before us is because I want us to evaluate according to God's word. Not what's accepted by your family, not what's accepted by your work, not what's accepted by your understanding, but according to God's word. Are there any Canaanites, Jebusites, Hivites, or others that you've allowed to live, that you have partnering with, that God said to get rid of, that God said to die to, that God said to remove from this which is now his dwelling place? Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? And he's made it clear what we are to do. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, it's a burdensome thing to try to live in two worlds. It's a burdensome thing to try to live for Christ while at the same time uh, live uh, in the world. We're to be in the world but not to be of the world. James put it very well in James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If you're not finding stability in your thoughts, in your actions, if you're not finding fulfillment and stability in your daily life, well, I would encourage you to evaluate. You know, if you feel uncomfortable uh, one time in the word of God, but you feel comfortable, you know, at your workplace or with your friends or or in in another ungodly situation or circumstance, whatever it is, evaluate. Is there a single-mindedness or a double-mindedness? Are you adhering to God's commandments and promises? Or are you leaning and resting on your own understanding? God has won the victory. He's overcome sin. Not for us to be able to dwell and abide in it. Not for us to accept it. But for us to stand tall and stand firm and say, no, that's not right. No, that's not of the Lord. No, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to put Jesus first. We're going to put God first. We're going to put His commandments first, regardless of what it costs, regardless of what it takes. But you know, after... Really now, uh, over 25 years of myself personally trying to apply and to do these things, the battle gets tougher. The enemy gets stronger. The importance of the body, the twofold cord, the the two are stronger than one, and the threefold cord is not quickly broken, is so, so important. The enemy is not getting weaker. The enemy is getting stronger. The world, the flesh, and Satan. They're having a greater impact and a greater influence. And that's why it's important for us as individuals to make these decisions to follow the Lord and to bind together with other believers that we would be stronger, that we would be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. That's why the fellowship of the church is so important, that we would come together together to strengthen one another, pray for one another, encourage one another because the enemy is continuing to fight. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. But there's a battle raging. There's an expectation placed before us. And I hope and pray and trust that we'll be serious-minded about following His instructions and commands in these days to come it might it might be a costly decision from a human perspective but when you do what you know god expects you to do it doesn't matter what the human cost is it doesn't matter what the financial cost is the societal cost or anything else obeying the lord is worth whatever it takes and you'll never regret when you stand before him to hear those words well done thou good and faithful servant.